Well, um, we are in the middle of graduation season. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but on social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and when I get on those two this whole week and the last week, I'm getting all these sweet, precious pictures of friends and people that I know, uh, kindergarten graduations, graduation from high school. I've uh, had a couple of guys that I'm good friends with that are Methodist ministers, and they actually all got their doctorate together, and they walked across the stage this weekend uh, graduating with their doctorate in ministry. And uh, that was just so much fun seeing all those pictures and celebrating with those folks. And I don't know about y'all, but maybe if you have graduated, uh, you know, maybe you're, you're a parent of someone who's recently graduated, there can just be a myriad of emotions. Uh, you know, there's that part of you that when you're a high school senior, you're, you just can't wait to get to graduation. Maybe you can't wait to get out of the house, but there's this anticipation. You can't wait to cross that finish line. And then when the day comes, there's just a sadness, too. It's like all of a sudden, you're just you, these people that you've known some since you were in kindergarten, and y'all aren't going to be in school together all the time, and your life's going to look different, and, and there's this sadness. Well, flip side from that, think about moms and dads. Uh, for those of you who have graduated kids, you know this experience. Uh, you are excited. You're so proud of them. You're glad you've gotten them out of the house. And depending, sometimes you're sad. Okay, let's be honest. Sometimes you're kind of glad. <laughs> Mark and I laugh and tell the story. We have three daughters, and when our oldest was getting ready to graduate from high school, oh, I could cry at the drop of a hat. It was like, oh, my God. And then by the time our youngest came along, we stood in the driveway as she went off to college. We pretended to cry and be real sad, and as soon as her tires left our driveway, we ran back up the house, and we go, the house is ours. <laughs> no more kids. We can do what we want. But, uh, but it's, a, it's a fun time. It's a stressful time. But I think life is like that. There are always times of transition, times when you are going from one season of life into another season of life. I think the one thing that is common for all of us is that none of us, our lives are ever static. Do you know what I mean by that? They're, they're never going to stay just the same. We're always changing. We're always growing. There are always new circumstances. And we're always having to navigate these new seasons. And I think a really powerful, powerful question for us to ask is, what's next? Maybe if I can have that scratch. What's next? Our, our high school students are probably asking that question. And, and you don't have to just be graduating. Think about if you're a mom and you've still got kids in elementary school and you are ending up this academic year and you've got the whole summer in front of you, you might be asking, what's next? You know, what am I going to do with my kids this summer? We've got to do camps. I've got to keep them busy. I'm working full time. So we're often asking the questions, what's next? And I think this is such a powerful question that I want us to dig down and drill into a little bit today about what does that look like for your life and what does that look like for my life. I was having lunch with a friend this week, and uh, she and her husband had a, a, a miscarriage um, about a, a couple of months ago. And uh, just, just, just heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. Uh, the baby was 16 weeks old, and uh, just, just heartbreaking. And so we had lunch together. And, and I checked in, and I said, you know, how, how are y'all doing? How, how's it going? And we were processing that, and we started talking about this idea of what's next. And she said, she said, friends, she said, that is such a more powerful question than why. 
She said, sometimes when you're going from one season to another, especially if that season wasn't good, you can ask the question why, and you feel like you're kind of, you know, just going around in a circle. She said, but what's next? It takes your eyes to the future. Like, here's where I'm going. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is what's next. And today we're going to be looking at a scripture that is one of my favorite. Um, it's in the New Testament, and it is just these powerful, powerful truths in there that I think will help us prepare for whatever your what next is. But before I do that, I want to tell you about a, a, a study that I heard about several years ago. And I beg you can put this slide up here next if you want to. Um, I worked at Columbus State University several years ago and as a part of some faculty development. Uh, they had a gentleman, his name is Richard Light. He was from Harvard University and he had done a research project and out of that he wrote a book and the title of it is Making the Most of College. And so what they were looking at, they were asking this question and, and this is gonna connect to our scripture here. I'm not gonna bore you with a bunch of research but I think he said he, they discovered something really powerful. And they were asking this big question. They said, why do some students seem to make the most of college? You know, some students, they get to college, they have a really successful time, they would report and say, you know, I did well academically, I did well socially. When I look back on my freshman year of college, I mean, it, it went great. And then there are other students, when they reflect back on that freshman year of college, they'll say, you know, it was really a struggle. Um, I, I didn't do as well as I had hoped, whether that's academically or whether that's socially, whatever realm. And so they said, why is it that, and now he was at Harvard. I mean, it's hard to get into Harvard. Like, it's really hard. And so you've got to have a pretty good resume. You've got to have good SAT scores. You've got to have um, extracurricular leadership. You've got to have a pretty good resume. And they said, our students are coming to us, and they are prepared. They are prepared to succeed. So why do these same students come? And you've got one group that seems to thrive, but you have another group that doesn't seem to manage the season of life successfully. And they were asking the question, what is the difference? And then how can we help other students be successful? So they started, they, what they did, they took sophomores, um, sophomore students, and they divided them into two groups. Those who had been successful would report and those who had not. And so they did a battery of interviews, a battery of, uh, you know, those little tests where you fill in the dots and all that kind of stuff, hours and hours and hours of research. And as they poured over this and as they looked at it, there was one thing that became absolutely clear and evident that was a distinguishing difference between the two groups. What do y'all think it was? Who said that? God, okay, that's good. That wasn't what, that is important, but that wasn't what they said that. <laughs> a faith, maybe. Those are good, and that's what I, you know, who knows, that might be, but, but here is what they found, and this is what I was not expecting when I heard this gentleman, he was kind of taking us through his research. He said, we asked this question, as you were thinking about making the transition from high school to college, what were you thinking about as you thought about that transition? What was going on in your mind? And he said that the students who were successful all talked about, this. they talked about a lot of stuff, but they all talked about one thing. There was one word that they mentioned over and over and over and over. Those who had not been successful 
there was the absence of this word. And that one word was this, time, time. Now, when I read that, I thought, huh. And, and here's what he said. It wasn't how they necessarily managed their time when they got to college, though that was important. But it was the fact that before they headed to college, they were thinking about and considering that their time would have to be managed differently than it was in high school. They were thinking about the fact that in high school, you know, they were in school, say, from 8.30 to 3 or whatever, but when you get to college, time looks different. You have a class and then you have free time. They realized that in high school, you had a certain amount of material you had to cover, but when you got to college, there was so much more content. They, they began to think about and ponder what would they do? How would they manage their time differently? And when I heard that, I thought, that is such a powerful, powerful insight. And it is no surprise, I think sometimes that when you see research in the social sciences and it highlights something kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool, that you also will more times than not see that same principle echoed in the scriptures. And that's what I'm going to take us to today is a passage in Ephesians that gives us almost, it's almost like if you can say, here's this truth. And I would say the Harvard research, they were kind of looking at it from this angle. And the Apostle Paul is going to pull over here and he's going to let us see it in a different direction. Now, let me set this up for us. Our passage today, it's three short verses, but they are power packed, power packed verses. And they come from the book of Ephesians. And what this is, in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul, um, y'all may have read about his story, know about him from the book of Acts. He was a follower of Christ. He had a very dramatic conversion experience after the resurrection. And he was a missionary. He went around the whole Mediterranean basin starting churches. And then after he left these churches, he would write them letters. And these letters would be read in the book of Ephesians they believe was not just written to one church, but was actually written to several churches, and it's what they call a circular letter, meaning that it might be at Martha Bowman one week, and it would be read here, and then the, the, someone would take that letter and take it to, let's say, Bonville, and they would read it there. You kind of get my gist. So it was a circular letter, and it's just chock full of so many great, great insights about how to do this life as believers, how to live out this Christian life. And so let's dig into our first scripture here. So Ephesians 5, and it's also there in your program. He writes, this is how he begins. And we're just going to take it slow. We're going to unpack it word by word because I think it is so rich. I don't want you to miss any of this. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Therefore, be careful how you walk. And if you're, if you're underlining, if you've got a pen, let me encourage you to circle the word careful because that's what I feel like these high school seniors were doing as they were transitioning to their freshman year of college. Um, the word in the Greek literally means to look carefully, to think about, to contemplate, to weigh carefully, to ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? I'm going to decide and not slide. 
Have y'all ever heard that phrase, to decide not to slide? To slide is what those who weren't successful did. They went from high school, they transitioned to college, and they just kind of slid into it, thinking that the same skills that worked in high school were going to carry over to college, but they needed new skills. And so to think carefully, to be considerate, to, to ponder, and to recognize I'm heading into a new season. The landscape is going to be different. I might need different skills. I might need to think about this. And that's what those college students did. But for us, you know, we have a few folks in here who are transitioning to college. But every single one of us, we have new seasons that we are transitioning into. And I don't know what your season is, but think about that. And then let's apply this verse to our life. He says, therefore, think carefully how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And so he sets it up here. We've got this, we've got this dichotomy. You've got this is how a wise person approaches life, and here is how an unwise person approaches life. Um, I was kind of you know, going through this in, in the Greek, not that I speak or read Greek, but there's these great helps on the Internet, just so you know. <laughs> but anyway, one of, one, of the, one of the words for uh, unwise is a fool. One just said, stupid, don't be stupid, pay attention, it's going to be different. And I think the difference in somebody who lives with wisdom and someone who can be foolish is thinking, paying attention, asking the questions. Pause, consider. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Verse 16, he goes on and he says, this is going to be the difference between the wise person and the fool, the wise person and the, and the stupid person. He says, make the most of your what? Time. Ta-da! That's what the Harvard guy found out. Make the most of your time. Now, this word time here, it's, it's a unique word. And in the New Testament, there's two ways that we talk about time. One is what's called chronos, and the other is kairos. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing those exactly correctly. I do it with a little bit of a southern twang. But chronos time is like on my calendar at 12 o'clock today, I've got a lunch. I'm, I'm going to eat lunch with a friend. And I have that written on my calendar. That's what chronos time is. The word time here is a little different. It's kairos, and it, it has a broader meaning. It's not just saying making the most of your schedule. It's saying make the most of this season. And it's the idea that the time is, is an opportunity. It is pregnant with possibilities. Making the most of this opportunity, this season, because the days are evil. Now, I was talking to a, a, a woman, and she is in grad school right now. And as a high school student, she was an, an okay student. You know, she was, it was all right. Sometimes she, you know, made bad grades. Sometimes she didn't. Always felt like she could do more than what she was doing. But, eh, you know, she did okay. But when she got to college at the end of her freshman year, she did a complete 180. She got very focused on school, very focused on what she was going to do. Grades were very important. I mean, she also had a social life. But there was a real shift. And I was talking to her one day, and I said, 
what what happened freshman year for you to kind of shift between you know one one way of viewing academics and, and the other way and this is what she said and it relates back to this idea of making the most of your time she said i had the opportunity um, during the christmas holidays to go on a mission trip with our church and my dad and she said and we worked with orphanages and she said as i sat there and i looked at those kids and I realized that I was being given the gift and the opportunity to go to college. Um, and these kids didn't have that. Like, I've got parents who are my cheerleaders. I've got my teachers who are my cheerleaders. I've got so much support uh, financially in every single way imaginable. And these kids, they don't have that opportunity. And she said, if I don't take advantage of this time in my life, this gift that has been being given to me, she said, it's like I'm spitting in the wind. She said, I'm going to be the one that is going to be hurt in the long run if I don't make the most of this opportunity. Do you hear her story echoing what Paul is saying right here? Making the most of your time, this opportunity, because the days are evil. And I don't know what your next season of life is. I don't know what new you know, time in your life you're coming into. But we all have these times where we don't want to squander it and we don't want to waste it. Now let's go on to the next verse. He says, so then, so then, do not be foolish. There's that word again. Don't be stupid, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I love this because there's so many great things in this verse, but I want to pick up this, the, the end of that sentence where he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Um, I think this is what differentiates what Paul is trying to tell us from the Harvard study. Does that make sense? Because the Harvard study gives us some great life principles. In other words, yeah, I really do need to stop and consider and ponder and think about this next season of life, make sure I'm being, being a good steward, uh, that kind of thing. But for those of you who are Christ followers, for those of you who have said, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my master, Thank you so much for dying on the cross for me. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I am your child. For us, this passage just explodes with possibilities and meaning. Because for us, it's not just being successful in this life. It's being who God has created us to be in this particular season and getting the most out of this opportunity this season so we don't, we don't miss it. We don't miss it. And sometimes I think we just don't stop to think about it. Um, just an example from my own life, going back to the whole college thing. When our youngest daughter went off to college, um, because of my job at our church, I was doing some stuff around marriage enrichment, and I was mostly working with couples who were engaged or couples who were in the first or second year of marriage, uh, working with teenagers to help develop healthy habits and relationship skills so one day, you know, when they got into a, a long-term relationship, it could be healthy. And as I was doing all of this, I ran across a little Bible study, and it was called 10 Great Dates for Empty Nesters. And I thought, huh, 10 Great Dates for Empty Nesters. I thought, well, that's what Mark and I are. And then I was reading the description, and it was talking about things like how to become a couple again. 
how to grow spiritually in this season of life, how to reignite the flame. And I remember as I was looking at that, I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense, and I hadn't really thought about it. And Mark and I did this, this Bible study together. Basically, you, you, know, you watched a little video, there was a chapter to read, and then you had questions that you're supposed to ask in conversation with Jan with one another. Y'all, it was a game changer. It was a game changer and because it made us stop and it made us think we're heading into a new season of life. We are not the same couple that we were when we got engaged. We're not the same couple that we were when we were raising kids. We, it's new. We, got to, we need to navigate these new waters. And so whatever that season of life is, as you are navigating the new, it's so important to stop and pause and consider and say, God, I want to make the most of this time, this opportunity, so I don't miss it. Go back up a little bit. He says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I want to say, if you've if you, if you got your pen out there, I want, I want to encourage you, circle the word understand. For those of you who are parents, think about when you say the word understand. Here, here, let me just tell you, this is, I found that, especially when my kids were teenagers, I would tell them something, and I would tell them something, and I would tell them something, and it just felt like that, you know, it was going in one ear and out the other, and then usually I would get a little animated, not going to lie, and I would say something like, but you don't understand. And usually the next phrase was, if you do that, you will die. <laughs> you know, one of my girls, she didn't want to wear her seatbelt when she drove. And I would explain to her, when it's against the law, when you're supposed to do it, when I'm, all these kind of things. And, and then what I would just usually boil it down to, if you have a wreck, you are flying through the windshield and you will die. You don't, what, understand. So when you think about what I feel like Paul is saying here, he says, y'all, don't be stupid. Don't be foolish. Understand. You already know it. You already know right, wrong, all that good stuff. Understand the significance of this moment and what you're going to miss and what you're going to lose if you don't understand how God would have you use this season. You know, I think one of the things that is, is incredibly sad sometimes is that often we see this in church that parents have been very involved in their children's education, they've been very involved in church while their kids were at home. Uh, because there's the mindset, I've, I've got to model this for my kids. But it's almost as if there's this mindset that once your kids go off to school, once they leave the house, your job's kind of done. And you see people, and this is so sad, pulling back from their faith. You see people who were once involved, once leading in the youth, once serving. It's like you began to see them fill their time up with other things. And I think that's what Paul would say is, oh, don't do that. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Understand there's a purpose. There's a calling. There, this, this season of life is pregnant with opportunity. Our next slide up there. I just want to ask you this question, and I want you to think about this. As we think about our next steps and where we go from here, how would your life change if you turned our scripture today into a prayer? 
How would your life change if you turned this, this scripture into a prayer? And, and on your communication cards, you've got some next steps. And, and one of your next steps is, I will memorize Ephesians 5, um, 13, 15 through 17. And I want to invite you to commit to yourselves, to consider doing this, to say, Father, I pray that you would help me to be careful to consider how I'm going to live in this season of life. Father, will you give me wisdom? Lord, maybe I don't know how to do what it is that you need me to do. Will you bring people into my life that I can learn from, mentors, folks who have gone through this season? Oh, God, help me not to squander it. Help me to understand the significance of now. Let me live fully into this moment, this season. Our next question is, what would change about the way you spend your time during this season of life? if you lived into this truth. I don't know about y'all. I wrote that question, and it was like the, oh, to my heart. Because I had to ask myself that question. What would change? What would I cut out? What would I add if I really wanted to spend this season of my life living it to the fullest, to all God has for me? How would our church look different if we lived into this scripture? In just a few minutes here, we are going to pray and, and we are going to be taking communion. And I'm going to invite Wood if he'd like to come on up at this time. One of the beautiful things about communion and one of the things that we believe as United Methodists is that God is, is, extends his grace to us in many ways. But one of the ways he extends his grace to us is as we share in Holy Communion together. We believe that as we come to the table, it is a mystery of faith. We don't completely understand it. And as you come to the table today, if you want to rededicate your life, rededicate this season to pray this prayer, after you take communion, I want to invite you and give you the opportunity to have some time here at the altar.